another kind of interesting anti-aging drug called calorie restriction mimetics. So what they do in somewhat different ways is they trick the body into thinking that it's not getting as many calories as it would like. And that induces a whole bunch of revision of the priorities of our metabolism. Uh, so as to essentially put more effort into, um, into, into preventative maintenance in the body and to put less effort into things like reproduction and growth. Welcome to the Mindfulness Experience Podcast. My name is Keith Fiveson. We're here to explore the intersection of consciousness, science, and technology. And we're an official media partner for the Wonderland Miami 2023 conference happening November the 9th through the 11th. Today's guest is Dr. Aubrey de Grey, a world-renowned biomedical gerontologist and pioneer in anti-aging research. Dr. de Grey is the founder, president, and chief science officer of the Lev Foundation, a biomedical research and advocacy charity focused on repairing the molecular, molecular and cellular damage of aging. He has dedicated his career to redefining how we view aging and through his research has made groundbreaking progress towards delaying and potentially eliminating age-related diseases. He has an impressive scientific background with achievements. Dr. DeGray is highly sought after as a speaker and he's known for his captivating talks on longevity, aging, and the future of medicine. He's a highlighted keynote at the Wonderland 2023 conference, and we're honored to have him here today to share his thoughts on combination rejuvenation treatments in mice and their relevance to humans. All right, all right, all right. Aubrey, so glad to have you here today. How's your spirit? I know you're I know you're involved with some other things right now, and I, I really want to thank you for being here. How's it going? Oh, yeah, it's a pretty busy life right now, especially this time of the year. There's a lot of conferences and so on. Um, but yeah, I'm feeling good. Thank you. Thank you for having me on the show. Oh, great, great, great. Well, we're really excited that you're going to be at the Wonderland Conference, and uh, that's beautiful. Uh, let me ask you, you know, you're doing a lot of speaking, and you're a distinguished speaker. Certainly, can you share your journey into the anti-aging research area with us and what inspired you to pursue it and and perhaps what you might be sharing at the conference? Sure. Um, well, so I got into this field about 30 years ago when I discovered, rather by accident, that um, in general, most biologists were not very interested in aging, which had never occurred to me. I had always assumed that everybody knew and understood that aging was the world's most important problem and thus that biologists would be working rather hard on it and i found out that that wasn't the case so i basically switched fields i was in a, a nice circumstance where i was able to do that um and so yeah that's how i got into it i mean i had always known since i was a kid that aging was the main thing we should be working on and it had just never occurred to me that other people would not think the same right um, right so in terms of what I'm doing, we're going to talk about in Wonderland. Well, I mean, I guess I'll basically summarize the work that we're doing at LEV Foundation, which is, uh, you you um, summarized it, it's combination mouse lifespan experiments, mainly. The idea is that 
We have reached the point in biomedical research now for against aging where we can start to take the last step in putting in place the mm. approach to keeping people healthy as they get older that I first propounded more than 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. And that approach involves the repair of the various types of molecular and cellular damage that the body does to itself mm -hmm. throughout life. Now, of course, the body is a really, really complicated machine, so it does many different types of damage to itself. And um, you've got to fix all of them. And mm -hmm. uh, that means that the approach to keeping people healthy has to be very much a divide and conquer one. Mm -hmm. Now, some of these um, approaches to repairing various types of damage are, m are more difficult to implement than others. And so some of them are not ready for prime time, even in mice yet, but some of them are. Mm. And the next step, the last step, of course, is to put them together in the same mice at the same time and see what mm -hmm. happens. Mm -hmm. Because there, of course, will be cases where, for example, two things don't dovetail well together and you have to adjust. So these are the kinds of things we're trying to find out. And I'll mm. be talking about that. Great. Well, that's uh, it's very intriguing. And of course, um, when we look at Wonderland, it's going to be, um, uh, you know, a conference around uh, the science, the research, a lot of it around psychedelics and entheogens. So I'm wondering where uh, the play is there and how that uh, intermingles and what people might expect in that particular regard. Because you've also talked about the seven types of aging damage and how they lead to age-related diseases. And I'm, I'm just wondering if there's a confluence or an intersection here. There is an intersection, but it's a bit tangential. Mm -hmm. The um, thing that we really have to take into account if we are looking at the, let's say, the mind-body interaction, the mm -hmm. extent to which one's psychology influences aging, is it doesn't influence what kinds of molecular and cellular damage accumulate, but it does influence how rapidly they accumulate. Mm -hmm. And that means that at the moment, when we don't have medicines to repair most of the types of damage that we need to repair, um, the only thing we have in the meantime is to slow down the rate at which that damage is generated. And certainly a number of things, especially relating to minimizing stress, mm. can uh, quite powerfully do that. So, you know, whatever works, really. I mean, mm -hmm. I myself am not in the psychedelic field at all. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I don't take anything, I don't study anything in that space, but the reason I'm probably somewhat relevant to Wonderland mm -hmm. is because, indeed, there is an intersection between the two fields. Mm. So, in other words, uh, if we start taking a look at post-traumatic stress disorder or uh, treatment-resistant depression or things of that nature, which in a lot of you know this field we start taking a look at psychedelic assisted therapy to go ahead and i'm a vet i'm a, a army vet and you know we work with vets to go ahead and help them deal with trauma so what i hear you saying is that certainly is one of the seven types of aging that uh damage that can happen in terms of uh, the internal growth of, of yeah, cells quite, not quite. Is this right i'm not, I'm not I'm not saying it's one of the types. I'm saying it's an influence on the rate of accumulation of all of the types. Got it. Okay. Got it. So what are the seven types of aging damage, uh, you know, that 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 happens? Because I, I know you've talked about this and I'm I'm very interested to make sure that I've got the boxes checked off on all seven of them, that I'm okay, you know. I'm I don't wanna I don't wanna die right away. Yeah. Well, so like I said, at the moment 
you can't check those boxes because the therapies mostly don't exist yet. Mm -hmm. Um, So what you can do is the other stuff that we've just been talking about, Mm -hmm. try to slow down the rate at which things happen. Mm -hmm. So what um, we're developing is a variety of therapies for these things. So the stem cell therapies, because one of the types of damage is the loss of cells, cells dying and not being automatically replaced by the division of other cells. Um, and then there's various anti-cancer therapies, because, of course, one of the types of damage is the accumulation of cells that are no longer under cell cycle control. In other words, they're dividing when they shouldn't. <laughs> then there's also um, something that's been quite in the news over the past 10 years or so, senescent cells. Mm-hmm. The word senolytics has become quite a buzzword in this field mm-hmm. and in the media. And those are the are, zombie cells, is that right? That's exactly right, yes. So senolytics are all about selectively killing off those zombie cells. Mm-hmm. So that's the third one. Um, the other ones are more at the molecular level. So uh, two of them involve simply waste products. And the reason there are two is because I distinguish between waste products that accumulate inside cells and waste products that accumulate in the spaces between cells, the extracellular space. Mm -hmm. Um, The reason it makes sense to have those two be distinct is because the ways to eliminate them that we're pursuing are a Mm -hmm. bit different. We're using the immune system against the ones outside cells and we're using bacterial enzymes mainly against the ones inside cells. Um, And then there are a couple of others. First of all, there's mitochondrial mutations. So mitochondria are these special parts of the cell Mm -hmm. that perform the chemistry of breathing. They combine um, nutrients with oxygen in order to extract energy from the nutrients. Mm -hmm. And they have their own DNA, which Mm -hmm. accumulates mutations much, much more far, more rapidly than um, the regular DNA in our nucleus of our cells does. Mm -hmm. Um, So that's a problem. And we have ways to essentially make those mutations harmless. Mm. Um, Oh, we're developing that. Mm -hmm. And then finally, there's this um, kind of lattice of proteins called the extracellular matrix made of proteins mm-hmm. like collagen and elastin. Mm-hmm. And these, um, th- this matrix is very important for the biophysical properties of various mm-hmm. tissues. Mm-hmm. Such as, I mean, it's, um, <clears throat> it's responsible for, uh, main, uh, for not getting excessively high blood pressure, for example. Mm-hmm. Um, what happens during life is that these, the extracellular matrix becomes less elastic Mm. as a result of chemical changes that accumulate spontaneously over time. Mm-hmm. And this elasticity is quite important because, if, for example, if, uh, in, the, in terms of blood pressure, mm-hmm. the major arteries become less elastic, the mm-hmm. heart has to pump harder, you end up with higher blood pressure. Mm-hmm. It's the same chemistry that actually leads to wrinkles, so it has cosmetic um, um, relevance as well. Mm-hmm. Oh well, so um, I'm you know I'm very uh, interested in the uh, in all all of those areas and and certainly from a uh, intervention viewpoint to be able to go ahead and do the right things. Uh, I'm a I'm a meditator. This is the mindfulness experience. We do believe in breath work. We believe in the body mind, the spirit, the what you put in your body as well as rest, the proper rest, and obviously to keep the stress down in terms of relationships. Uh, but the synolytics area, um, you know, I, I've read something about that in terms of some of the compounds that are out there, whether or not it's uh, looking at uh, metform. Um, did I met, met, metformin? Metformin. I, yeah. yeah, metformin. And then there's uh, 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 rapamycin, uh, which is another one. Do you have some sense about those, whether or not? And I, I know some folks that are on those, so I'm, I'm just wondering your view of that. Okay, so. 
Rapamycin and metformin are not senolytics. Mm-hmm. They okay. are yeah. another kind of interesting anti-aging mm-hmm. drug called mm-hmm. calorie restriction mimetics. So right. What they do in somewhat different ways mm-hmm. is they trick the body into thinking that it's not getting as many calories as it would like. Mm. Um, into thinking it's in a famine, basically, even if it isn't. And um, that induces a whole bunch of essentially um, revision of the priorities of our metabolism mm-hmm. uh, so as to essentially put more effort into um, um, into, into preventative maintenance in the body mm-hmm. and to put less effort into things like reproduction and growth. And uh, they don't work all that well in humans, to be honest. The mm-hmm. dramatic results that we see are in short-lived model organisms in the laboratory. Mm-hmm. But they're better than nothing. Um, so, you know, they have... You, they you have said they're better than nothing? Is that what you yeah. said? Yeah, they have have value. Though, of course, again, um, one really enormous difficulty that we have with with any drug really is that the value varies so much from person to person. Mm. Mm -hmm. Um, Some drugs may be good for some people and bad for other people or or neutral for other people. Um, And so it's it's very hard to generalize. Mm. But no, analytics are another class of drug that are selectively killing these zombie cells. The zombie cells, there you go. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah, and I've, I've I've just started to uh, take some some of the uh, some of those myself. I haven't seen any uh, results yet, although although I I am walking a little bit more spry, you know, uh, which is not a bad thing. But in in all seriousness, you 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 have your recent work is focused on a combination of rejuvenation treatments in mice, and I'm wondering if you can because we've gone from you know uh, looking at. Uh, uh, how mice really are sort of the the next step as human beings and i'm wondering can you elaborate on the significance of the research and the potential relevance in terms of how we might be using them where it really does count yeah totally so um well you're quite right first of all let me address what you just said about the relationship between what works in mice and what works in humans Mm -hmm. and it's it's just genuinely true it's definitely true that a lot of things that work in mice don't work in humans. In fact, most things that work in mice don't work in humans. Mm. But if something works in mice, it's more likely to work in humans than it is if it doesn't work in mice. So it's still worth doing mouse experiments. Also, it gives an idea of what might be possible. I mean, even if something that works in mice needs some tweaks in order to work in humans, you've still got some kind of you know demonstration of proof in principle that the thing can work. So mm. it's, it's valuable in its own right. Mm-hmm. And so that's really why we're doing this work for both of those mm-hmm. reasons. Great. And, um, you know, it's working pretty well. We are um, take at the moment, we've got one huge experiment going. It costs three and a half million dollars to get going. Mm-hmm. Um, it's got a thousand mice. And we've got four different treatments that we're giving these mice, very different from each other. One is a stem, stem cell therapy, one is a gene therapy, one mm-hmm. is a senolytic, and one is a calorie restriction mimetic. Hmm. And um, we are putting all of those four things in different subsets, different combinations into these mice. Mm-hmm. And of course, we're measuring how long they live. And we're also measuring things like how healthy they are at a given age, um, hmm. you know, which is measured in many, many different ways, cognitively, you know, physically, um, uh, glucose tolerance, mm-hmm. um, visual things mm-hmm. like loss of hair. Um, so, uh, yeah, so, so, so it's a big old experiment, and that's for sure. And we definitely want to do more of these experiments because there are plenty of other interventions that are very much 
uh, worthy of similar analysis at that point. Mm -hmm. Do you believe that at some particular point we'll be able to extend human lifespan and, uh, you know, through the use of, you know, from the research and from the use of some of these interventions that we've spoken about? Of course, that's why I'm doing it. I mean, yeah. not, I, I, I don't have particular, you know, I, I, I haven't dedicated my life to extending the life of mice. Mm -hmm. um, uh, yeah, I mean, um, I think we're pretty close, actually. I think that think so? we have no? a 50% chance or so mm -hmm. of um, getting maybe 20 years of postponement of the health problems mm -hmm. of late life in humans uh, within the next 12 to 15 years from now. Mm -hmm. um, and if we can do that, then I believe that we will be at a point that I have called longevity escape velocity, which mm -hmm. is what LEV stands for in the name of my foundation. Mm -hmm. um, Beautiful. Uh, so that is is a point where we can keep going. We can keep we can continue postponing the mm -hmm. um, health problems of late life faster than time is passing, which means that people who are getting the the best therapies at the time at any point will be able to postpone their mm -hmm. um, health problems uh, fast enough that they will never actually get sick at all as a result of how long ago they were born. Hmm. Wouldn't that be wonderful? I know there are blue zones around the world where, you know, on average people live over 100 years uh, or you have that capability. And I don't know anyone who's lived beyond 120. But um, but what what you're talking about is, you know, people who have the opportunity through the research that you're doing to add another 20 years. And I, I think I think that's absolutely wonderful. I know many people are weary about the potential consequences of extending the human lifespan you know how do you respond to those concerns and what do you think some of the ethical considerations that are most important in the anti-research uh, anti-aging research yeah so of course i do get that kind of um <laughs> reaction all the time and it is quite exhausting having to carry on giving the same answers to that <laughs> that kind of question oh. the, the <laughs> did i make a mistake <laughs> oh no no you know I don't have to do it. um uh but yeah i mean thing is the mistake is based on the fixation on the idea that aging is something qualitatively different from diseases. Mm. Like, it's perfectly okay to want to um, cure Alzheimer's disease or to cure cancer or whatever, mm. right? People are happy with that. You know, you get Nobel Prizes and so on for it. Uh, nobody complains about the government putting lots of money into trying to do that. Right, right. But unfortunately, this is a misconception because these age-related diseases are not diseases at all they are aspects of aging that we've chosen to give disease-like names to. Mm -hmm. and the only way we're ever going to bring them under proper medical control is by bringing the whole of aging under proper medical control. Mm. It's the same thing. Mm. And yet people, by, by virtue of just, you know, adopting a confused definition, mm -hmm. have been able to formulate this inherently inconsistent, contradictory mm -hmm. view that, you know, diseases are terribly bad, but aging is not. And they try to make excuses for aging. And of course, right. the reason we do, the reason we have this this bizarre phenomenon, mm -hmm. which I call the pro-aging trance, mm. is that um, we've had to put aging out of our minds, you know, ever since the dawn of civilization, because we couldn't do anything about it. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, you're not going to want to be preoccupied by it forever, because you know it's horrible. Um, so people have, you know, adopted these irrational rationalizations, and that's that's only become irrational now. It was rational when it was a matter of just putting it out of your mind because you couldn't do anything. But now, doing that slows, slows research down because it 
limits enthusiasm for putting mm -hmm. proper money into the research. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So we're really not talking about like sort of aging with all the disease and all the disembodiment that we've seen in terms of, you know, uh, what uh, uh, people might think about in terms of aging. We're really talking about uh, living longer in terms of good health and being able to go ahead and combat a lot of those diseases through the research that you're doing. You know? Yeah, that's exactly right. There's a simple soundbite on this. Lifespan is a side effect of health span. Mm. Right? The longer you stay healthy, the longer you're going to stay alive. The less long you stay healthy, the less, you know, being sick is risky. Um, but I'm, I just do medical research. I don't work on longevity. I work on health. Mm -hmm. Beautiful, beautiful. I like that. Can you discuss the state of, um, you know, the, the research that you're doing uh, and what sort of breakthroughs or advancements you're, you know, seeing as most exciting uh, in, the, in the place right now, most exciting to you? Sure, sure. Um, well, of course, the thing that excites me the most is the big experiment that we ourselves are doing, mm -hmm. which doesn't have results yet. We started in February, and this is an experiment that would take maybe two years to complete, maybe more. Hmm. Uh, the idea is that we start with mice that are about one and a half years old, and these are mice that would normally live to about two and a half years old, so they've got a year to live on average if you don't give them any treatments. Mm -hmm. We want to double that. We want to take them out to three and a half years. Um, and then a bit more than that, if you're looking at the longest lived of the mice rather than the average. Um, so that's the thing that's exciting me most, but I haven't got much to say about it yet, except to say it's ongoing. Um, but yes, I mean, in terms of what else is going on around the world, mm -hmm. that other people are doing, there's, there's breakthroughs every other day. You know, it's, it's, a, it's an extraordinary time to be in this discipline because mm -hmm. yeah, so much is happening. The, the, the scientific, um, you know, a community has really got the bit between its teeth when it comes to doing mm. something about aging. Even 10 years ago, that really completely wasn't true. Um, right. And now, you know, it's a different world. Mm -hmm. And I see your work has really uh, attracted the attention of, you know, various industries. You're down at Wonderland and there's going to be a lot of biotech, biopharma, venture capital companies there, life insurance, you know, insurance companies, technology companies. I'm wondering, you know, how do you see these industries playing a role in the future of anti-aging anti research? So I've been privileged to give lectures to pension funds and insurance companies and so on for many, many years. And, you know, these are people who make their money from knowing and predicting reasonably accurately what's going to happen in terms of how long people stay healthy and how long they stay alive in the future. So you'd think they'd be listening. And that is, of course, why they have me along. But um, it's, it's sometimes rather difficult because the, what I tell them is going to happen is so far removed from what they've been brought up to think is mm -hmm. going to happen, which is, you know, you know, very slow increase, if any, mm -hmm. in the um, trajectory of longevity. And they just have difficulty getting their heads around it. So it's really more a matter of, you know, repeat advertising. I have to just keep going in and saying the same thing again and not being contradicted. And, and of course, that's also um, something that's becoming more mainstream. There are, you know, very credentialed mainstream economists saying the same kind of thing that I've been saying for a long time and saying it with, you know, the kind of authority that um, gets people to sit up and take notice who might decide that I'm just like, I'm some amateur. Mm, mm. Well, I certainly you're not. And you're the founder of the LEV uh, Lev Foundation. I call it Lev, uh, but LEV. Can you... Tell us more about the organization's mission and maybe its impact on uh, anti-aging in the research field. Yeah, so um, 
I guess the mission is pretty much the same as the mission of the two previous organizations that I created and led, mm -hmm. uh, the Methuselah Foundation and Sense Research Foundation. And we've gone through these various you know, transformations largely because the field has progressed and the priorities have changed. The thing that really hangs everything together around, you know, is, is, is I've always tried my best and I've been privileged to succeed in playing to my strengths. In other words, basically, you know, I, I kind of like being the professional heretic. I think I'm good at it. And so I focus <laughs> on the things that other people are, you know, um, perhaps constrained not to do. And I, rather than trying to work in academia in a system where I have to get my, you know, grants approved by my colleagues, or if I have to work in a company where, you know, shareholders matter and so on, I've been able to get into a position where my work is almost entirely funded by philanthropy. So all I have to do is talk to people who, um, you know, who might be interested in this area and get them to trust me. And, and so I have been able to work on things that other people are simply not able to work on because of their circumstance. And that continues to be the case. So what I, what I choose to work on are obviously the things that I feel are the most neglected. It's, mm -hmm. as I say, a very big field, very diverse, lots of different things that need to be worked on. And um, some of them are much more neglected than others. So I've been able to plug a few gaps over the years, shall we say. Mm -hmm. And you're doing incredible work. Uh, and this is, as you as you pointed out as we started, you know, this is incredibly important work because there's not a lot or hasn't been a lot of research in the field. And uh, it's not only about, you know, living longer, but it's about living more health, uh, more healthy as a healthy human being you know given your talks worldwide uh, from universities to major conferences how do you approach tailoring your message to different audiences and what do you you know really hope to achieve through the talks so yes you're quite right of course different audiences have different priorities different um ways of saying things uh, what i hope to achieve is really to inspire people you know mm. uh, one thing I, I guess most of the key science that i scientific contributions that I made were more than 15 years ago now. Uh, mm -hmm. They were in a period from the late 90s through to the early 2000s, mid 2000s. Um, since then, my overwhelming um, impact has been in community building. I mean, of course, I've been overseeing scientific research all this time as well. But, you know, going out and generally inspiring people. And of course, what that means is very different from one person to the next. So if I inspire someone who's uh, an up and coming young scientist, then they may go into the right field. But it may be someone who's more of a journalist and they may decide you know, to promote me or highlight me or interview me on the podcast or whatever. Mm -hmm. Or it might be someone who's in policy or it might be someone who's an economist. Mm -hmm. And they've all got different ways. But the point is what I start by doing is getting people to understand what I've always understood, namely that aging is the world's most important problem and mm -hmm. that even trying to contribute to you know to, to 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 apply one's talents to hastening mm -hmm. medical control of aging is one of the most laudable ways to spend one's life that one can imagine yeah it's beautiful it's beautiful so as you start talking with all these different people and you're in these conferences and meetings uh, around the world what advice uh, would you give to young researchers or students that might be interested in pursuing a career in the anti-aging field? Yeah, so it's different advice at different stages. So when a high school student comes to me and asks me, mm -hmm. you know, what should I, what kind of degree should I do? Mm -hmm. Mainly, the number one thing that I highlight is don't specialize. Do a gen general biology degree as opposed to genetics or biochemistry or whatever. 
And that's because aging affects the body at every level of organization. So in order to understand aging well, in order to be able to understand it well enough to make, make a contribution to taking our work forward, mm -hmm. really have to have a pretty good grounding in all of the areas, whether it's you know, physiology or biochemistry or molecular biology or genetics or whatever. Mm -hmm. um, at the next level, if someone's, an under, someone's in their undergrad degree and they're thinking about what to do in research, then it's a different kind of advice. It's like, you know, ideally work in a relatively small lab because then you'll have more influence. You won't be a small cog in a, in a big machine. Mm -hmm. um, ideally, find an a, a area of research that re really, really fascinates you and gives you passion because that's the time when you're going, the first time you're going to experience the enormous frustration of research in which mm -hmm. you know, nearly mm -hmm. everything doesn't work. Um, mm -hmm. Things like that. And then, of course, outside research, uh, you know, a lot, of what, a lot of what's necessary, and actually within research as well, is um networking you know so uh people come to me a lot just because i'm the top google hit you know and i have I've been around a long time i have the biggest network and um that means that i can do a lot of you know just introducing people to people and getting them to you know be able to apply their talents in a way that mm -hmm. dovetails well with somebody else's talents but that doesn't scale so what mm -hmm. i have to help people to do is to meet each other and to get involved one thing that's the absolute centerpiece of my community building work and has been for 20 years is the conferences that I run. The first one I ran was, yeah, 2003, 20 years ago. Mm -hmm. um, and I run an annual conference in Dublin now, in Ireland. Um, last one was a month ago. These are supreme events. They are mm -hmm. enormous fun, which is, of course, a, a requirement. Um, they also have, obviously, the very absolute cream of the cream of speakers. But really, it's the networking that goes on in the bar uh, through the night that, that that is what makes the conference a, a can't miss thing. Mm. Well, we're certainly looking forward to having you down at the Wonderland Conference. Yeah. And uh, I'm wondering your view. Uh, I, we sort of touched on it as we started out, looking at psychedelics, looking at entheogens and uh, the work uh, that you're doing. Uh, I'm wondering if we can maybe unpack that a little bit. Do you think that there are any specific psychedelics or entheogens that might be uh, helpful uh, for individuals in terms of neurogenesis or neuroplasticity or overall a sense of uh, you know being able to feel uh, whole and embodied so that they're uh, you know less stressed or less uh, you know uh, uh, fatigued if you will uh, in terms okay, of the so aging. No. So I'm going to shamelessly duck this question, um, but I'm okay, also going to say something enough. that might be useful. I'm going to duck it because two things. Number one, I'm a PhD, not an MD, which means I'm not legally allowed to give that kind of advice. Got it. But also, but also, I don't actually have much expertise in it. There are plenty of other people in the field who know a lot more than me, and I would not want to try to pretend that I know as much as that. However, hmm. the way I'm not going to duck it is by highlighting the fact that psychedelics are, of course, used by a lot of people. Mm -hmm. And they are that, that tends to happen without necessarily all that much medical advice, and people, you know, make their own regimens. They decide what works for them and everything, right? Mm -hmm. And there is therefore the potential to pull information that is gained that way, right? Mm -hmm. uh, let's call it self-experimentation information. Mm -hmm. Now, the more um, organised that process is, mm -hmm. of you know, uh, like for example, um, quantifying one's physiology and one's mental state at baseline before one makes some change to one's to what one is, take, is taking is taking set setting and integration, yeah, mm -hmm. yeah, understanding what 
what, what, what the actual changes are too. Anything from blood pressure all the way to, you know, mental acuity or whatever, right? Mm-hmm. Um, uh, you know, if one has good data on that from, from these end of one experiments where everyone's doing what they want, one can extract patterns from it, especially these days with the great machine learning advances that we've had. Mm-hmm. And that is something that we have needed desperately within mm-hmm. the biology of aging for a long, long time, because there are plenty of treatment of treatments that people are, um, you know, interested in mm-hmm. that may not be necessarily prescribed or mm-hmm. not, you know, evaluated in clinical trials, but may mm-hmm. actually be effective. And so these end of one experiments, especially in the past several years, have mm-hmm. become much more uh, prevalent. Lots of people doing their own thing. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, this, the the um, psychedelics community and the anti-aging community can absolutely work together and learn from each other about how best to um, gather data from these end of one experiments so as to further the field more rapidly. Yeah, I mean, that, that totally makes sense, Aubrey. And, you know, my, my view is certainly that if you can reboot, reset, reframe, if you've got stress, if you've got trauma, and you can, you know, the efficacy rates look very high, that you can go ahead and live longer. You could be more healthy. You could go ahead and go out and exercise and have relationships and do the things that really, you know, really feed your bo- mind, your body, your spirit. And, and isn't that a good thing? Yeah, yeah totally. Yeah. So looking forward, uh, you know, and towards the future, uh, as we start to uh, wrap up our time here, even though I know we've got, um, you know, a, a, and I'm aware of your your time frame. Um, what are your hopes and your expectations over the next decade of, you know, looking at, you know, anti re, uh, anti-aging research and maybe the potential impact on society? So a decade is a long time these days. I would put it that way. The um, the specific thing that I always focus on in the next decade, and in fact, it's less than a decade now. It's really we're talking about more like um, the next, I would say, three to five years, mm-hmm. is that the world in general, the general public, and that means also, of course, decision makers, policy makers, governments, are going to wake up to the imminence of the medical control of aging. That's going to happen before the actual, you know, real control of aging for humans is actually with us. It'll mm-hmm. still, that'll still be under development. But the realization that it's it's just around the corner is going to result from experiments like the one I'm doing, uh, mm-hmm. my group are doing at um, LEV Foundation, um, you know, experiments in the laboratory. Once that happens, <clears throat> once we get, like, doubling of the remaining lifespan of mice that are already in middle age before we start doing anything to them, mm-hmm. then, you know, all hell's going to break loose and it's going to happen very suddenly. There's going to be a, a, a kind of dam bursting thing where mm-hmm. this whole thing that I call the pro-aging trance earlier, where people are desperately making up these irrational rationalizations to put aging out of their minds, that's all going to evaporate very suddenly. Mm-hmm. And when it does, it's going to be a bit turbulent for a little while because, of course, First of all, priorities of governments are going to change. Then, you know, the economy is going to be very disrupted because people are going to want very different pension plans, very different life insurance and health insurance and so on because of differences in their expectation of how long they're probably going to live, even though that expectation is predicated on the arrival in time of Mm. therapies that don't yet exist. And so it's only a probabilistic one. Mm. Um, um, Yeah, so, so huge changes are going to happen. 
-hmm. Now, I believe that we've got a fair chance within maybe 12 or 15 years, maybe a 50-50 chance mm -hmm. of these medicines actually arriving. I would be surprised if they arrive as soon as 10 years from now, but really the anticipation of their arrival is going to be the big seismic change. And that's, mm -hmm. that's probably, in my view, between three to five years away. Wow. Wow. So, you know, th th this is a huge field and you, you've been in this field all your life. And I'm wondering for, uh, you know, certainly for people who want to find out more and go ahead and do their own research, uh, they can certainly come down to the Wonderland Conference and meet you. Uh, but, you know, are there other uh, ways that they can find out more and uh, get a, a hold of you and, you know, perhaps uh, learn? Sure, absolutely. So, of course, the first place to start is my foundation's website, levf.org. Um, I'm sure you'll put that in the show notes or something like that. And uh, yeah, there's a contact form there and you can write to us, you can write to me. Um, and, you know, we're very, very good at responding to things like that. Uh, there are quite a few other, quite a few general audience books. I wrote one of my own about 15 years ago, which is still quite relevant. Mm -hmm. And lots of my colleagues in the field, lots of my prominent colleagues have written general audience books in the past few years. Um, so, yeah, there's no shortage of, of sources of information now. Excellent. Excellent. Well, I, uh, again, uh, really want to thank you. I'm looking forward to meeting you at the Miami conference. Sure, totally. Likewise. Thank you, Dr. DeGray, for joining us today on sharing your extensive knowledge and insights on the future of aging research. We're grateful to have you as a keynote speaker for the Wonderland Miami 2023 conference and look forward to continuing to follow your groundbreaking work. As always, we encourage our listeners to explore the world of mindfulness, science, and technology, and stay tuned for our next episode.